Poets and they look like me And every day on the evening news They feed your fear for free And you so numb You watch the cops choke out a man like me Until my voice goes from a shriek to whisper I can't breathe And you sit there in the house on couch And watch it on TV The most you get is a Twitter rant And call it a tragedy But truly the travesty You've been robbed of your empathy Replaced it with apathy I wish I could magically Fast forward the future so then you can face it and see how fucked up it'll be. I promise I'm honest, they coming for you the day after they coming for me. You've just heard the words of Michael Rinder, a.k.a. Killer Mike, one half of the rap supergroup Run the Jewels. Even if you're not a fan of RTJ, you might have heard Mr. Rinder lately as his impassioned speech for peace and calm and organization delivered to his fellow Atlanteans was widely circulated this week on social media and news outlets. In his remarks to the people of Atlanta, he said, it is your duty not to burn down your own house in anger at the enemy. It's your duty to fortify your own house so that yours may be a house of refuge in times of organization. And now is the time to plot, plan, strategize, organize, and mobilize. Obviously, despite the calls for peace uh, and community, Killer Mike is mad as hell that unarmed black people in America are being killed by police with seeming impunity. The latest example that led the people across the nation and even the world to rise up and protest is George Floyd, a Minnesota black man who is accused of passing off a counterfeit $20 bill and was slowly strangled to death on video in broad daylight by four officers of the Minneapolis Police Department. I'm Aaron. Welcome to Three Right Turns, the podcast where we try to better understand the world and in turn make it better. But God damn, is it hard? It's hard all the time, but it's especially hard right now. See, as I said from the beginning, I'm not really about covering current events on this show. That's not what I wanted to do. It's not what I'm trying to do. What I'm trying to do, I guess, is fireproof people against being reactionary And having reactionary viewpoints by exposing them to like the best arguments and the viewpoints and the data uh, for things when they're not trending, when they're not white hot in the news. But to do that before passions get inflamed so that when you see and touch this hot stuff, you'll you'll know what's coming and, and you can be informed and you can help others understand. So when I first talked about racism in America, there were no active riots. It wasn't the week where a cop went wild and killed an unarmed man for supposedly petty crime in our streets. And I told it through the lens of my family's history as German immigrants, uh, how the first Germans, Irish, Italians coming to this country were not even considered white at all, but instead viewed as dirty, disease ridden, prone to crime, prone to violence, lazy, illiterate. Then I invited a black man on to talk about the term white privilege to try to explain it, to defang it, to help people understand that it's not a condemnation of white people. It's not an attack that we need to get defensive about. It's an invitation to us all to be heroes in the story of America. It's not blacks versus white in this country. It's everybody against racism, that we can all be the good guys. And what a joyous, wonderful thing that would be. And I really try to make these podcasts with an eye towards convincing people who disagree with me and failing that, helping people who already agree with my viewpoints to make more convincing arguments. Because I remember what it was like to be a conservative and to be told every fucking day that you're sexist and you're racist and you're homophobic and you're backwards and ignorant. And when you know in your own heart that that's not how you really feel, it's not an effective way to engage with you. And I know the things that moved me and I know the things that hit home to my conservative friends and family now. 
But these past few weeks, there's not enough rhetorical fireproofing in the world to handle the kind of fire we've seen all over this country. And worse, I've realized that there's probably never going to be a quote unquote calm enough time to walk every person that needs to be walked through the complex topic of race in America because there's just never going to be a long enough stretch of cool down to do it properly. This thing doesn't ever calm down. You're lucky to get a few months in between the intersection of racism and police brutality in America. And if you go those few months, it's probably not because it's happening. It's probably because not it's not being caught on film for whatever reason. So fuck it. This episode's going to walk through a few of the arguments I've seen this past week that try to minimize, explain away, or excuse the racism in connection to these deaths and to try to condemn the protests and riots. And I want to get to that logical space, but first, I want to talk about why people are upset. Why I'm upset. Not mythical people. Why I am upset. So let's talk about George Floyd. George Floyd, again, Minnesota black man, arrested on suspicion of passing off a counterfeit $20 bill. On arriving at the scene, police took George into custody, tried to get him into their car, and in a brief struggle, he fell to the ground. A Minneapolis police officer, Derek Chauvin, then put George face down in the street in handcuffs, completely helpless, and proceeded to kneel on George's neck for nine minutes until he died from asphyxiation. Nine minutes! I saw a protest in Cincinnati where they concluded after they read the names of uh, several black men and women who've been killed in the last decade in the vigil where they invited everyone in attendance to kneel for nine minutes. You should try it. It's not comfortable. It's really hard to kneel in that awkward position for nine minutes uh, for no particular reason, let alone to try to kill a person. Now, George said he couldn't breathe during the first six minutes of this. Many times he said, please, 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 man. He begged, don't kill me. Cried for his mama. And then he fell silent for the final three minutes. And Officer Chauvin remained on George's neck. Remained on his neck while EMTs arrived and began treating him. Now, several people caught this incident on film and it's chilling. Because the people are there and they're seeing it all and they're begging the officer to get off George's neck. One said, you got him down, man. Let him breathe. Another said, get him off the ground. You could have put him in the car by now. He's not resisting arrest or nothing. Another said, you're enjoying it. Look at you. Look at your body language. And it's a tough watch if you haven't seen it. But I insist that you find the video and watch it. Watch the officer. Watch Officer Chauvin's demeanor and his attitude throughout the entire ordeal. And there are three other officers there. Some to me, it looked like they were uncomfortable about the situation, but nevertheless, they went along with it and kept the crowd back to keep them from intervening. One officer, Thou, remarked to bystanders, this is why you don't do drugs, kids, as George had his life slowly choked from him. According to the video, George Floyd said 16 different times, I can't breathe before dying. So in this, this, this clip, this Run the Jewels clip that I opened up the top of the show with, uh, it's from the new album, Run the Jewels 4, that just dropped yesterday at the time that I'm recording this, which is Thursday, June 4th. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's from a track called Walking in the Snow. It had a lot of people. I follow uh, Michael Rinder on social media. Had a lot of people asking him, damn, Killer Mike, that's a timely lyric. You must have gone back to the studio late last week and made some final tweaks to that track to put in that I can't breathe reference, huh? How'd you turn that around so fast? The sad truth is no. 
That verse you just heard was recorded back in November of 2019 and references the 2014 murder of unarmed black man Eric Garner, also caught on tape, being choked to death by policemen while he's being restrained on the ground, face down by five other officers. On that video filmed by a bystander, you can also hear Eric say 11 different times, I cannot breathe. The medical coroner determined his death to be a homicide, with a report stating the death resulted from compression of the neck by chokehold, compression of chest and prone position during physical restraint by police. Eric's crime? He sold loose cigarettes on the sidewalk of New York City without a tax stamp. Critics of Mr. Garner are quick to point out that Eric had a long rap sheet of mostly petty crime and was at the time of his death out on bail for selling untaxed cigarettes, driving without a license, marijuana possession, and false impersonation. On the other hand, Mr. Garner had already filed a complaint against New York City in federal court accusing an officer of conducting an invasive cavity search on him in public view, alleging that officers dug their fingers into his rectum in the middle of the street. But you know what? The officer that placed Eric in a chokehold, Daniel Pantaleo, also had a prior record. He was named in two separate civil rights lawsuits in 2013, where he's accused of false arrest, abuse, and in one case, allegedly ordering two black men to strip naked on the street to search them for drugs. These charges were dismissed. But it makes you wonder about Eric's claims of having his rights routinely violated in the same way in the streets. Officer Pantaleo was brought before a grand jury that did not indict him, which means he never went to trial. Under New York City law, grand jury proceedings are kept secret. We don't know the exact charges that were sought by a prosecutor. We don't know the detailed contents of the autopsy report or any of the testimony that was given. The ACLU has attempted to gain release of that information to the public and have to this date been unsuccessful. Police brutality is expensive, too. The city of New York settled Mr. Garner's family for $5.9 million. That money would pay for a lot of social programs. It would feed a lot of kids a healthy lunch at their schools. It would pay for a lot of books, pay for a lot of classroom supplies. You know, it's been a, a month of crazy contrast, but that's been one of the craziest this past week. We know school teachers routinely have to buy school supplies out of their own pocket. And we've seen recently how nurses and doctors had to make do with trash bags and coffee filters for personal protective equipment during a global pandemic. But have you seen any police officers work in these protests and riots with homemade body armor they've had to scrounge around? Are they running around with slingshots with acorns against these rioters? Why is it that we can kit out every police officer in America like soldiers, but we can't dress a nurse like a nurse? After about three years, the U.S. Department of Justice declined to bring criminal charges against Mr. Pantaleo under federal civil rights law. After a lengthy disciplinary hearing, an administrative judge recommended that he be fired from the police department, which happened last August 2019. Uh, he was on full pay up to that point. And during the hearing, Pantaleo's partner admitted to exaggerating Eric's charges by claiming he was selling 10,000 loose cigarettes, which triggered felony charges and prosecution. But Eric never had more than 100 in his possession at any one time. This is why I'm upset that a guy can record a song on an album six months ago about a man who was strangled to death by police in 2014 and have it seem like it was ripped from today's headlines because it keeps happening. And it's been happening for so long. 
Who can even count the number of black men who've been strangled to death extrajudicially in the United States? That verse would have resonated 80, 50, 30 years ago. We've been lynching black men in this country for centuries. And in 2020, in America, it's still happening. This is why people are angry. This is why I'm angry. This is why people are grieving. This is why people are despairing. Now, I've seen a few common ways that people try to talk someone out of being outraged to the point of despair and even violence by something that a reasonable person can watch on video and feel genuine rage and despair. A lot of people will say, well, you know, we don't know the context. Sure, these videos look bad, but what did George Floyd do before the camera started rolling? Maybe he deserved it. Another way is to grant that, oh yeah, there's problems, sure, but they're overblown. If you look at the statistics, if you if you just not cherry pick these awful anecdotes that you see that get filmed, you'll realize that there's no real police brutality problem in America. And if there is, it affects white people just as much. Hashtag all lives matter. These arguments are bad. They're tired and they have to stop. Not because they're uncomfortable truths but because they're distractions that keep us from finding, talking about, and implementing actual solutions. And that's at best, because at worst, they're lies and slander designed to keep us hitting the snooze button on the racial alarm clock in America. And we can't keep hitting snooze. We're hitting snooze on so many issues all the time. I fear we're not going to survive the wake-up call if they all hit at once. And we're already flirting with pandemic, racial violence, earthquakes. We've got an election coming up. We can't keep hitting these snooze buttons. So let's let's get into it. This first argument I want to consider. We don't know the full context, Aaron. You know that Eric Garner, he had a long police record. He'd been arrested 30 times at the point of his death. The officers tried to cuff and take him in, but he protested. He yanked his hands away. If people would just listen and cooperate with police, they'd still be alive. If you play stupid games, you can't be surprised when you win stupid prizes. You know, my dad actually tried that line of argument with me when we talked on the phone just last night, and it did not go well for him because there's two very strong counterpoints to that argument. One, the penalty for resisting arrest and having a long rap sheet is not summary death at the hands of the police. We do not live in Mega City One. These cops are not Judge Dredd. They are not judge, jury, and executioner. They are not the law, nor are they above it. The only reason a law officer should ever have to kill a citizen is because they are a direct threat to the lives of the police or other citizens that are in active danger. I don't care if they gave you attitude. I don't care if they made you chase them down. I don't care if the suspect got a lick or two on the cop or their partner. Welcome to the profession of arms. You guys want to be soldiers? Soldiers are not allowed to execute enemies once they've surrendered or been neutralized. It's a war crime. I'm not saying they don't happen, but when it does, soldiers get court-martialed. There's a uniform code of military justice outlining what you can and cannot do. And they get sentenced to serious time at Leavenworth for violating that. Or at least they used to. I mean, gotten a bit soft on war crime in this country in recent years, but that's a whole other topic. A police officer has a brain, a gun, a backup gun, mace, a baton, taser, bulletproof vest, High-performance squad car with an additional weapon, a shotgun or assault rifle, sometimes both. They're ostensibly trained in the proficient use of all of these. They have multiple cops backing them up, and each of them carry a radio that can summon a nearly unlimited supply of the same for backup. 
We allow police to deprive us of our liberty, to use deadly force, and we still, by and large, honor them as heroes. We teach our children to trust and respect them, but only to the extent that they follow the law and they serve and protect us. Once they have a person in cuffs, that's it. Whatever fight or struggle led up to that point, it's over. And I realize the cops are people. And they get jacked on emotion and adrenaline just as much as the perps they're chasing and fighting. But we don't let that excuse any other crime. I can't kill someone because they pissed me off or disregarded me or made me work extra hard at my job. I can only legally kill a person if it's in defense of myself or other people. And even then, I'm going to have to most likely prove that in a court of law. Police officers are not above the law. They're not better or different than you and me in that regard. They shouldn't be. Except for they are. The legal doctrine of qualified immunity. I don't know if you've heard of it before. But it was first extended to police by a Supreme Court order in 1967 in the case of Pearson versus Ray. And it was to supposedly protect police from this dual jeopardy that the justice system is worried about. Where they were going to be caught between being charged with dereliction of duty if they don't do something like arrest a suspect for probable cause or possibly being bankrupted by fines and penalties if they do in legal matters that are developing murky or otherwise unclear. And I looked into this case and you're not going to believe it, but it revolved around the group of black ministers that were riding the bus from New Orleans to Chicago to protest segregation. Well, they pull into some southern town, and what do you know? White people took exception, a mob formed, the local police chief showed up and arrested them, certainly violating their civil rights. But I don't know. Do black people have a right to be in public white spaces? I guess that was one of those developing, murky, or otherwise unclear deals in 1967. But that's where this started. Can police arrest people under somewhat shaky legal reasoning if it's to protect citizens' lives and restore public order? However, in the years since, this immunity has been expanded by courts to the point where last week, Reuters released a report that called it a nearly fail-safe tool to let police brutality go unpunished and deny victims their constitutional right. If you'd like to read that report, it's linked in the show notes. So fuck your context. Unless the context is suspect had a gun and was threatening lives, there is no context from which you can justify violence against unarmed people. Certainly not unarmed people, handcuffed, lying face down on the pavement. Certainly not when you have heavily armed and armored cops outnumbering the suspect four or five, six to one, or sometimes even more. Now, another response to the, well, they have a long record of criminality, you play stupid games, you win stupid prizes argument is that there's a lot of compelling evidence that black people are just not policed the same as white people. Statistics show that black neighborhoods have more intense police scrutiny than white neighborhoods. They're patrolled more heavily. Black citizens are more at risk of being stopped than white citizens. Once stopped, they're at a higher risk of being arrested than white citizens. And once arrested... Black citizens are found guilty more often than white people of committing the same crimes. Once convicted, black people face longer prison sentences and harsher penalties than white people for the exact same crimes. And this is pretty damning stuff because at every step of their interaction with law enforcement, they are at higher and higher risk than their white counterparts. And that means one of two inflammatory things must be true. Black people are treated harsher by the American justice system or black people just inherently commit more crime. Now, if you believe the former to be true, then there's no further justification required for Black Lives Matter. Sure, 
all lives matter, but one set of lives is under systematic and unfair attack and one is not. If your house is fine and your neighbor's house is on fire and they're out in the streets in anguish saying, my God, my God, will anyone come and help put out this fire? My house matters. You wouldn't run up and say, hey, all houses matter. Aren't you overreacting just a bit? Isn't this all blown out of proportion? But some people think genuinely that black people just are committing more crimes than white people, especially violent crimes. Some people go out of their way to say this in the least racist way possible. Certainly not everyone, but I acknowledge there is a way to phrase this to make it seem reasonable. Let me take a stab at it. Here we go. Maybe it's not that black people are inherently violent. It's just their culture, you know? It's that damn rap music glorifying gangbanging and slanging drugs and you know, because this rock and country are all about sobriety and responsible citizenship. And I don't personally have anything against black people. I just I just wish they could fix their culture, maybe buy more into traditional American values. And they have facts and figures, you see, and, and you can't argue with facts, right? It's logic. It's reason. They're not watching these videos of uh, police speeding up people and, and killing people and letting their passions get away with them. No, because they think for themselves. They don't go along with the media spin. Facts are facts. But you know what is also a fact? People are really bad with stats and even worse on knowledge of history. Because here are some of the true facts I've seen people concerned with black culture circulating this week. There are roughly a thousand people total killed by police in any given year in America. Now, right off the bat, there's two things about this. This is just people being killed. We've seen a week of intense police brutality at these protests against police brutality. And it's remarkable how few people have been killed. The ones that have largely have been killed by police. The problem of police brutality is a thousand times worse than the problem of police killing people. But even still, a thousand people a year, that's sky high by the standards of other developed countries and the u.s police kill about 54 citizens per million people in this country in canada that number is nine in germany it's less than two this is where a lot of people yeah i'll freely grant that we have a police killing civilians problem above and beyond the effects of racism but let's keep going so you got a fact that a thousand total people are killed by police every year and you know what 40% are white and just 20% are black. If you die at the hands of a cop, you are twice as likely to be white than black. How about that? By the way, every stat I mentioned is going to be linked to the show notes if you're curious. But boy, that sounds bad, right? Black lives matter. Y'all are scared to death of police, but white people are twice as likely to get killed by cops. Hashtag all lives matter. But you know, there's a few things that stand out immediately to me about this data. One, if you look at the data, uh, Latinos make another 15% of these shootings, but that still only adds up to 70% of total shootings. I'm thinking, what the hell are the other 25% Asians, Pacific Islanders, Native Americans? What's happening here? And the truth is, 25% of every annual police shooting are of an unknown race. Isn't that incredible? We're so terrible of keeping track of data involving police shootings. We didn't really even compile it until very recently, which is a big problem. And I suspect, but obviously I have no evidence, no hard evidence, that places with the worst problems in race relations are probably the ones that do the worst job reporting the races involved in police shootings. You fans of The Wire know what I'm talking about. It's just another way to juke the stats, right? 
But still, 40% white police shooting victims over 20% black, that, that seems like a big deal. But hold on. Black people make up less than 14% of the American population. So proportionately, even though there's more in terms of raw numbers, white people being killed, big caveat of 25% unknown, proportionally, there's still a big discrepancy. There are four times the number of white people in this country, but only two times the number of killings. But then hashtag all lives matter comes back and says, well, yes, that's that's true. But why we're getting our stats straight, it's interesting that despite being 14% of the population, black people commit 50% of the country's murders and are eight times more likely to commit violent crime in general. So there you go. Police are going to be more likely to use deadly force and stopping deadly crime. Black people, for whatever reason, are involved disproportionately in violent crimes. The use of force is justified. This is entirely rational. Hashtag all lives matter. But that's not the full story either because those numbers only really work to the extent that they do, if every single arrest and conviction is justified. But are they? I mentioned that black people are more heavily policed in their neighborhoods. They're more likely to be stopped. They're more likely to be arrested. They're more likely to be convicted. They're more likely to be sentenced to harsher penalties than their white counterparts. But recent research has also found that black prisoners who are convicted of murder are 50% more likely to be victims of wrongful conviction when compared to other races of convicted murderers. Not only are they more likely to be exonerated, but they also spend much longer time in prison before their eventual exoneration. These numbers come out of a 2017 report issued by the Michigan State University. Also, only about 15% of murders by African-Americans have white victims, which is true in the reverse, by the way. The vast majority of white people killed in this country are killed by other white people. The vast majority of black people killed in this country are killed by other black people. It turns out that Most people that kill, kill people they know. And despite America's reputation as a melting pot, we're actually pretty segregated along racial lines in terms of where we live. Probably because America is still deep in the throes of institutional racism. But, you know, that's just my theory. But again, even though only 15% of African-Americans have white victims, 31% of innocent African-American murder exonerees were convicted of killing white people. Black people are twice as likely to be wrongfully convicted of murder and twice again as likely to be falsely convicted of a murder of a white person. Are black people just this unlucky? Are all these random coincidences just not breaking their way? Or, you know, could it be the deep institutional racism rearing its ugly head? I don't know. Other studies have found the convictions that lead to murder exonerations with black defendants were 22% more likely to include misconduct by police officers than those with white defendants. On average, black murder exonerees spent three years longer in prison before release than their white murder exoneree counterparts. Those sentenced to death spent an additional four years longer. There have been numerous studies over the past few decades that have shown that socioeconomic factors, how poor your family is, how poor your parents are, the quality of your schools, your diet and nutrition, things like that, have a far, far larger impact on your criminal record than the color of your skin. And if you adjust for those things, the difference in criminality among races flatten out. And yet... Black people are still more likely to be killed by police than white people, despite being on average less likely to be carrying contraband and less likely to be armed. Again, all these stats linked in the show notes. So that's how it goes when someone tries to tell you, well, hey, sure, there might be a problem, but it's blown way out of proportion. These protests are all a sham. This rioting is all needless and mindless violence. All lives matter. 
But saying that shows a profound lack of understanding and empathy to try to put down the Black Lives Matter movement because the data shows their lives are under a direct and unique attack. And if black lives don't matter, none of them do. That's what Killer Mike was trying to say on that track we opened up with. I wish I could magically fast forward the future so you can face it and see how fucked up it will be. I promise I'm honest, they coming for you the day after they're coming for me. This is something that affects us all. No, America's police kill their citizens at an alarming rate compared to other countries. And when you add racism to the mix, the tragedy is borne most heavily by our black friends and neighbors, and their lives must be protected. By the way, if someone out there has some spicy racial stats when it comes to crime or poverty or intellect or anything like that, please send them to me at 3RT at SwizzBold.com. It's kind of a hobby of mine to look into these stats and see if they stand up to scrutiny. And I tell you, this week, I just copied stuff uh, as I saw it going around Twitter and Reddit and kept dumping it into a document and dumping it into a document. And I wanted to set out to address the most damning of them. And I had to rewrite the stat rebuttal section like two or three times because I kept on sitting out to research something and I couldn't find any way to corroborate the original claims. I swear to God, I see people trade these image memes on Twitter asserting this percentage of this number per capita. And there's no attributions. When you try to look up and see what they're based on, they're just made up. Like I saw one that asserted that 87% of white murder is committed by black people, which I knew wasn't true. Like I said, it's almost in, in entirely the opposite. But, you know, sometimes these numbers have an element of truth. It's just they're misleading uh, or sometimes they're accurate but lack context. But a lot of times it's just fucking made up. So aside from these statistics, another way for people to dismiss and distract from the issue is to make it about the resulting violence and rioting and looting. And I got to admit, I used to be a big believer in this, too. Oh, yeah, I support the protest. But man, ah, this looting and violence, it just just really takes away from the important message, guys. And I know there's been protesters who have instigated things and there's been rioting and there's been property destruction and there's been looters opportunistically stealing things. But the vast, vast majority of these protests have all been peaceful, as have the protesters making them up. And you can see the videos themselves coming out in real time. We're no longer dependent like we were 20 years ago on 30 seconds of footage aired on the evening news to characterize what's going on in our streets across America. There are thousands of embedded war journalists in every single one of these riots. Everything is on camera. And yet the few bad actors are cited as reason to fire rubber bullets on thousands, gas them, beat them put draconian curfews that make peaceful demonstration impossible. L.A. had what, a 1 p.m. curfew at one point? But, you know, to me, when I see this footage, it feels like many, many, many times the police are the ones escalating the violence. I saw in Seattle a peaceful protest turn into a riot when a cop grabbed a pink umbrella. Why? I don't know. Maybe it was over the fence an inch or two. Maybe the person holding it said something rude about the officer's mother. All I know is the cop tried to snatch it. The owner of the said umbrella didn't immediately release it. And instantly, mace was flying. Flashbangs were going off. Gas grenades were launched. And the riot was on. These guys are standing there in RoboCop body armor. And one single empty plastic bottle hits them and it's on. I'll link a supercut of police apparently instigating riots in this past week if you'd like to see more examples of needless antagonism by the police. But again, there are thousands of cameras out there and the police know this. 
This is how they're behaving with us watching them. This is them on their best behavior. Pregnant women, old men, reporters, medics, all have been fired upon with tear gas and rubber bullets. Firing on medics, that's a literal war crime. A journalist got her left eye blown at last week by these less lethal rounds. And the president calls for martial law. He wants to use United States military to put down protesters as if they're a hostile occupying force. That most nuclear option of crowd control is being considered. Before the cop who strangled George Floyd on camera was even arrested, there were multiple days of peaceful protests in Minnesota. We all saw it. Interrupted by cops rioting with tear gas and rubber bullets. Again, this was days before the police station got sacked. This was before that target got looted, before any glass got broken on any streets, before any businesses got burned down. Days of protest where property was undamaged and the only violence came from the Minneapolis Police Department itself. You have to wonder what would have happened had they done what they would have done to you or me if we'd been caught on video with our knees to some bound victim's neck until they died. If they had been arrested right away, if they'd arrested the cops and the city had outlined changes in training and accountability, I don't know. It sounds crazy, but maybe we wouldn't be having this violence now because this none of it happens in a vacuum because we also saw weeks ago how the police handled armed occupation of Capitol buildings by white people protesting stay at home orders. They were violating orders. They were screaming in officers' faces. They were pushing. They were spitting. They were incredibly heavily armed. And they were treated with restraint, with calm professionalism. The president asked their governors to make concessions for them because they're very fine people. And the contrast between the way these Justice for Floyd protests were handled and the Applebee's and haircuts crowd were handled could not be clearer. And that absolutely added fuel and oxygen to the situation. To see that disparity, not from years ago, but from last week. Because what we saw last week was thousands of peaceful people have mace, gas, and rubber bullets turned on them. Completely unarmed people. Is this the lesson we want our citizenry to learn? Show up for protests geared for war, because that's what this is. Because that's another way this can go, right? It's not what I want to see. What do the powers of B want? And I have to ask also, if a very, very, very small percentage of protesters can be used as a pretext to abridge our First Amendment rights to peacefully assemble and demand redress from our government. For in this case, an unlawful public execution. If that can be used to order citizens to go to bed or else, not not just curfews, there's video of people being gassed and shot for standing on their own porches after curfew. People were filming from their porches and their doorsteps as these goons march past and then you hear an officer bark an order, light them up! If all that can happen because a small group of bad actors and an otherwise massive group of innocent people, how can it be that a small percentage of cops be responsible for the violence and racism and yet doing anything about it seems impossible? We can declare martial law to stop people from breaking windows to protest a murder before we arrest a few outlaw cops? They say it's a few bad apples on the police force, that the vast, vast majority of police are dedicated professionals who would never abuse their power and are not racist. And I believe that. I have several police as friends, and I think they do care, and they do treat it as a calling, as a public service. But how does that saying go again? 
A few bad apples spoil the whole bunch. You have a few rotten apples and a bag of apples, and you know what? You got a bag of rotten apples. And you know what? The man who killed Eric Garner had several prior civil rights complaints filed against him. The man who killed George Floyd had 18. His partner, the one sarcastically suggesting for kids to stay away from drugs or being strangled in the streets, six violations. What do we do? I don't have all the answers. I've been harping on this for a long time, but I know that the war on drugs and the war on terror has turned our police into an army and our civilian population into enemy combatants. And they've eroded the rights and protections from the state that we should have as Americans. And we've got to stop it immediately. I know that we need a way to hold police accountable. But ultimately, if the police want to continue to enjoy our respect and consent to governance, they have to hold themselves accountable. And it's going to be hard to police 330 million people without respect and consent. There's just not enough law, enforcement, and military to do it, unless you just want to line up and kill us all. But I kept thinking about, this would not even be a story if any of Officer Chauvin's partners had taken him aside and said, hey man, we got him. Come on, get off his neck. Let's go get him in the car. Let's let the courts deal with him. How can that be a hard call to make? Why can't they do that? It's way past time to mandate body cameras. There are way too many departments already using them. There's too much evidence that use of body cameras dramatically lowers complaints of police brutality. And once we do, there needs to be severe penalties for losing or otherwise failing to record this evidence. We need to treat officers and departments that tamper with this evidence or delete it like we would any other organization that obstructs justice, like criminals. And you know... I'm pro-union, but we also got to figure out a way to fight these police unions because there's a big fundamental difference between like a trade union, a police union, or even a teacher's union because a union gives workers the leverage they need to go to the bargaining table with management to get fair wages, better working conditions, and better treatment. And while union can protect their employees from unfair treatment from their employers, they can't shield an employee from the law. But in police unions, They absolutely can protect their officers from the consequences of their actions up to and including murder. Just because Chauvin and the three others have been arrested, that doesn't guarantee they're going to be indicted. It doesn't mean that they're going to be convicted, much less receive some just sentence. And how much money have these four men already cost their city? How much have they cost this nation in terms of money, in terms of property damage, in terms of business, in terms of just erosion of goodwill and respect? A union is supposed to balance an unfair power structure. But how is it that we've decided that what we need to do in the case of police is hand over even more power to the part of the society that has a monopoly on the use of force? Now, I'm not saying we should disband police unions because they should be able to collectively bargain to get better pay and conditions, just like any other job. And their job does have unique difficulties in terms of mental health and occupational dangers. The other jobs simply don't. And officers should have a recourse if their department tries to fire them over some administrative bullshit or some other wrongful cause, again, like any other job. But we can't keep overlooking injustice to appease this bag of apples that is overwhelmingly good and professional and dedicated to their communities because that's not what it looks like. City councils and mayors can make whatever recommendations they want. They can make sweeping reforms. They can set standards. They can adopt best practices. But none of it will matter if it hits the wood chipper that is the fraternal order of police. 
Police need protection from unsafe working conditions and from unfair labor practices. They do, but they do not need effective immunity from the law. Not when they're beating people, not when they're torturing people, not when they're killing people. And I'm not in favor of riots. I'm not condoning looting, but I understand why it happens. Martin Luther King Jr. said that riots are the language of the unheard. These Corona stay at home protesters were heard. Their demands were taken seriously. Journalists were breathlessly covering every protest, every gathering, regardless of how small. But you know what? The people of Minneapolis were not heard. And that's why we had the riots. Once a protest turns into a riot, all bets are off. You can't be like, tut, tut, boy, those rioters just aren't thinking about optics. Oh, those rioters sure aren't effectively getting their message out. Well, no shit, because rioting is not a rational response by a person invested in the system. It's an enraged person trying to bring the system down. And if you don't like it, listen to people when they have reasonable demands. I think not strangling a person to death is a reasonable thing to ask of a police force. I think it's reasonable to hold officers who murder citizens accountable like anyone else. And if the police respond to these reasonable requests with gas and bullets and batons, then they get to hear. We all get to hear the language of the unheard. Assuming that the protests are still going on by the time you hear this podcast, probably a safe bet. I highly encourage everyone who cares about this issue that thinks it's a real problem to go out there and hit the streets with your fellow citizens. I took my whole family out. Downtown Cincinnati protested right outside Police District 1, and it made me feel good for the first time that week. I've said on multiple Swizzbold shows that I think we've made a mistake in allowing us to be disconnected from one another. And this is the antidote connection. It feels amazing to march and to sing and to memorialize the dead and to lift our voices together to denounce injustice. And if you're scared of the coronavirus, it's pretty easy to socially distance yourself at the fringes of these gatherings and the protests and the vigils. You can keep safe and still be seen and heard. You know, if things look like they're going to get rough, if the cops in the riot gear show up to the peaceful protest, uh, you don't have to stick around. You don't have to fight. You can always you can always leave. But I think that the more people that show up, the safer things are going to be and the faster things are going to change. It's real easy to dust 100 people off the streets. It's harder for 1,000. It's really hard for 10,000. It's impossible for a million. If you can't do that, there are a lot of ways you can help support the Black Lives Matter movement. One, educate yourself and be ready when your friends and family push back with this All Lives Matter stuff. Just with the arguments we've gone over in this podcast, you're going to be ahead of 90% of them. Challenge their narratives. Talk about the things that you've seen. Talk about your perspectives. Call out voices that call for the quelling of peaceful protests for what they are. Un-American. This country started when a bunch of criminals committed property damage by throwing crates of tea into the Boston Harbor over unfair taxes. Now people want to stop a movement protesting public executions because people are tearing up a few blocks downtown? We routinely survive hurricanes that cause billions and billions of dollars of property damage along hundreds of miles of coastland. I'm pretty sure we can recover from this. And you know what? We can't control hurricanes. We absolutely can put an end to police brutality. You can also put your money to work if you can't physically be there with your fellow citizens in the street. There's lots of ways you can help. A lot of protesters get stuck in jail because they have no lawyer and they have no access to money for bail. And there's a grassroots effort 
uh, around the country to raise money for bailing these people out. So they have to suffer as little for their acts of civil disobedience as possible. I have a link to a wide selection of them all over the country. It's in the sh- uh, show notes. Support your local city. Spread the money around. I kicked in 100 bucks for Cincinnati's fund. I highly encourage everyone to find one and do so as well. Also, George Floyd's family has started a GoFundMe to cover funeral and burial costs, counseling services, legal fees, and continued care for his children. There's also a GoFundMe to provide for his six-year-old daughter, Gianna Floyd. Uh, I will be including links to those. Finally, closer to my home, a young woman by the name of Brianna Taylor was killed by police just a few weeks ago in Louisville. And it's kind of been overshadowed by this George Floyd thing. Uh, Because it happened in the middle of the Corona outbreak. But Brianna was a 26 year old black woman shot to death in her home by plainclothes police officers executing a no knock warrant in the middle of the night. The problem being the house they wanted was 10 miles away. At the time of her shooting, the police already had the man they were looking for in custody for several hours. Brianna was shot nine times in her bed and her boyfriend that tried to defend their home from these attackers that came to them in the dead of night was arrested and charged with attempted murder of police. Now, those charges were later dropped, but still, that's some shit. And they called it a mistake. They're at the wrong house. The suspect that they were looking for was already in custody. They were serving a no-knock warrant. They battered their door down with guns ready and blasting. But it's, it's just a mistake. Brianna would have been 27 this last Friday. She was an EMT working out there to save lives, helping her community. But then she got snuffed out by a few guys wanting to play badass warrior. There's also a GoFundMe for Brianna Taylor's family to help with their legal fees and, and other support. Uh, again, I've listed all these charities and what must be an all time long show notes for this episode. Killer Mike said it's time to plan, plot, strategize, organize and mobilize. He also said it's time to beat up prosecutors you don't like in the voting booth. It's time to hold mayoral offices accountable and chiefs and deputy chiefs. And we need to do that. We need ideas. I've given some. I love to hear your takes on how we can curb police violence, how we can help make Black Lives Matter go from hashtag to reality that everyone buys into. I'd love ideas on how people can help. I'd love ideas on how we can organize and protest more effectively because, y'all, it's going to be a long, hot summer. And I doubt we've seen the end of protests and riots this year in America. If you got ideas If you got problems with my stats, if you got a bad stat you want me to look at, send those in to 3RT at SwizzBolt.com. That's going to be our show for this week. Uh, This is not the topic I planned, but I hope I did it justice. On a scheduling note, we are moving three right turns to Wednesday, starting with this upcoming show next week. This is to give Jim a bit more time to get things edited because he's been spending a lot of his time on weekends sweating over these things. And he's never complained, but that sucks. And I don't want to keep doing this to my buddy. So it's also going to mean we spread out the content over more days when ever I get a chance to do these kind of uh, once a week sprints on three right turns. So one weird trick and three right turns aren't going to ever drop on the same day. If you value what we do here at SwizzBold, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash SwizzBold. You'll get some cool Reddit flair, access to one of our monthly live streams and archives of the same. In fact, you just missed the June one. But you can still see it and hear it if you join up today and you'll be ready to participate in the next one. I'd like to take this opportunity to now thank our Fred level patrons by name. Mark Hahn, Jared Harlman, Laura Luthi, George P. Burdell, Brian Rasmussen, 
Angela Morano, Arvind Rao, Jordan Hoyt, Kira Grusho, Greg Rasp, and James Taylor. Thanks again to all our friends. We couldn't do it without you. I don't know if, if everybody's caught on to this or if we explained it, but you know, our patron level nicknames come from Cecily and I's kind of fanciful idea to start a secular religion around the teachings and example of Fred Rogers. And I just keep thinking, man, what would Mr. Rogers say about all this? What a fucking mess. He would not say that. He'd have something kind to say, and I wish he's around to say it. Merch.swizbull.com is the place you want to go if you want to get some swanky clothes, mugs, mouse pads, posters, whatever, emblazoned with their show logos. Might be a good way to start a positive conversation. Who knows? Next week, I'm going to be back with another show on Wednesday, and also I'll be back with Cecily on One Weird Trick next Monday to talk about love, life, work, and family. Last week, we talked about safe words, how you can prove your social skills, and advice in dealing with dead bedroom marriages. That sounds like something you're interested in. Check out SwizzBold.com. Follow us on all social medias at SwizzBold. Send me feedback at 3RT at SwizzBold.com. Until next time, Black Lives Matter. Justice for George and Brianna. We've come too far. Can't turn around. Have a great week.